As we remain standing, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of worship, and we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. Open our hearts to your word that we might know Jesus and be shaped to follow him in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The novelist Terry Pratchett once wrote, if you don't know where you come from, then you don't know where you are. And if you don't know where you are, then you don't know where you're going. And if you don't know where you're going, you're probably going wrong. It's a more poetic way of saying, history matters. In our time, we seem to have many people that want to erase any piece of history that upsets them or offends them in any way. But the Apostle Paul saw historical engagement as an aid to proclaiming the gospel. Verse 15 of our passage, the synagogue rulers in Pisidian Antioch invite Paul and Barnabas to speak to them, saying, brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. What they're looking for is an encouragement. In fact, that's how the ESV translates that word. They're looking for some kind of encouragement. It's almost like it's halftime and they're looking at the coach to spur them on for the way forward. Like any good preacher, Paul jumps on the opportunity. And his his encouragement is this. There is a point to all of this. History is moving somewhere because human history is about the road to redemption. Paul shows us this by showing what life is about, how we start down the road of redemption and who the road is open to. Now, you'll probably notice if you're paying attention to the reading from Acts 13 that we skipped verses 17 through 25. When that happens in a lectionary, my antenna tend to jump up and I'm curious what's happening there. Well, in this case, Paul gives his audience the 100,000-foot view of Jewish history. He does this to show how God has been at work, moving history forward. From the time of the captivity in Egypt, through the reign of King David, and all the way up until the appearance of Jesus. And that is where our reading picks up. Paul tells them that he and the followers of Christ have been given the message of salvation and are sent to proclaim it. Why? Well, verse 32 is kind enough to let us know. Paul says, And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. This is why he gives all of that historical background. God was working out his plan of redemption throughout all history, through his chosen people, so that they would be ready for this moment, this time when redemption would be made available to them in Jesus. Put another way, all of salvation history is about Jesus. It's why in verses 34 through 37, Paul compares Jesus with King David. 
David was the king. He was the Abraham Lincoln of ancient Israel, the leader that everyone looked back to as the best that's ever been and longing for someone like that to be in charge again. I'm sure none of us have a longing like that in our day and age. Paul is making the point that, guess what? Someone even greater than David has come. David was an amazing king, and yet he died. His body saw corruption. It decomposed. That never happened to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God was doing. He is the only begotten Son of God in fulfillment of Psalm 2. He is the one who has the holy and sure blessings of David in fulfillment of Isaiah 55. He is the one who never saw corruption in fulfillment of Psalm 16. Jesus is the culmination of human history and the one who gives meaning to life. And he is this... Because he has done what no one else ever could. He's provided perfect and genuine freedom. Verse 39. By him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This word freed here. Another way to translate it is justified. Everyone who believes in Jesus is justified. They are made right with God. Jesus has accomplished what no one else could. Even the holy law of Moses could not free us because we sinful human beings could never keep the law perfectly. All of us sin. All of us break the holy commands of God. And so all of us need a redeemer. Although our sin alienates us from God, we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ so that we might be in relationship with God. That is the gospel in a nutshell. That is the purpose of human history in a nutshell. It has been God's plan from the very first moment of creation to redeem a people for himself. And he has been at work throughout history to make that happen, culminating in Jesus. Life is about relationship with God, and so life is about walking the road of redemption found only in Jesus. Since Jesus alone justifies us, we can find freedom in him. What do I mean by that? Well, last week, we spoke a little bit about this whole idea of grace and how Deep down, we actually really don't like the idea of grace. Functionally, we act like it's our actions that justify us and not the free gift of Jesus. And so we set up, go about checking off all the right boxes. And often the boxes we're checking are really good ones. Volunteering, coming to church, trying to be nice to everyone that we meet but we're doing them as a way to try to earn God's grace and favor rather than responding to the grace that has already been shown to us. Friends, that's just an exhausting life. I don't know about you all, but I don't have the energy to do that on my own. 
spending all our time running around working to be the best person we can possibly be, all under our own power, and then it turns out, guess what? It was kind of fruitless the whole time. Paul couldn't be clear. Redemption and freedom are found in Jesus and Jesus alone. We don't have to earn it. It's a gift. You know, since having kids, I spent a lot of time at parks and playgrounds. And I'll often see kids go down a slide and then they turn around and they try to climb back up again. And they're working their tails off trying to get back to the very top and then Inevitably, I see it over and over again. They're about to get to the top, and a leg slips. And down they go. All of that work, completely wasted. That is what we are doing when we try to work our way up to God. We keep working and working and working, climbing and climbing and climbing, and we think we're almost there, and then sure enough, Out go our feet, and all the way back down we go. And it's exhausting. We get so tired of it, and eventually, we just give up. And we give up on God. But grace is all about realizing we don't need to climb up to God. He's standing there waiting to pull us up to him. This is what grace is. Jesus, not because we have done anything at all to deserve it, but simply because he loves us, reaching out and offering his hand to us so that we can be with him. If we want a life of freedom, of justification, all we need to do is acknowledge our need for him. To realize that life is about him and not me, and what he has done, not what I've done place our hand in his and let him lead us. Now, if life is about this road to redemption culminating in relationship with Jesus, the truth is we need to start somewhere. And that means being honest about who we are and our own history. Paul is asked for a word of encouragement, and he includes a statement that I imagine wasn't all that encouraging. Verse 27. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. Paul is telling his audience that those who should have known exactly who Jesus is didn't recognize him. Those who apparently knew the history of Israel better than anyone, anyone else, those who spent all of their time studying Scripture, completely missed who it is that Scripture points to. And so they condemned Jesus. They could find no fault in him, yet they handed him over to Pilate to be executed. And little did they know, in doing so, they actually fulfilled exactly what Scripture said would happen. They were blind men. Some encouragement, right? After hearing that, who's not ready to go out and take on the world, right? There's a few principles we can pull out of this. First, this is a warning to the people of God. This group of people should have known the scriptures better than anyone, and they completely missed who scripture was about. 
How easy is it for people to come to church their entire life and never really get the gospel? I have had countless conversations with countless people who tell me that they went to church for years without ever hearing the gospel. Now, in some cases, that's because the churches that they were attending don't preach the gospel. They preach something else. Sometimes, though, it's because they were unwilling to hear the gospel. Church was just another box to be checked off. Didn't spend any time in the word of God. They weren't praying at all. And Sunday services were really about thinking about what you're going to have for lunch afterwards rather than worshiping the living God. We are unwilling to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we haven't heard because we haven't listened. This is a warning for all of us who have been in church for years and assume we know it all and get it all, yet have been completely unwilling to engage with Jesus on a personal level. But it's not just a warning. There is also an encouragement here. It's this. The warning itself is an invitation. We are not shut off from God. We can ask God to open our hearts and our ears to the truth of Jesus in humility to confess that we have so often not have eyes to see nor ears to hear. Ask that he would give us these things, prayerfully present our need before God and see what he does with it. Here's another principle we can pull out of Paul's history lesson. We can't walk down the road of redemption unless we start somewhere. And we can't start unless we are honest about where we are starting from. The rulers in Jerusalem, they sinned. There's no question about that. They rejected Jesus and refused to accept their need for a savior because Jesus didn't fit the model of what a savior should be. And it's easy for us to look at them and think, what is wrong with you? How could you not see who this was? How could you not see that you needed him? That is so easy for us to say when we look at other people's lives. When we look at our own lives, though, it becomes a little more challenging. We humans are a prideful lot. We don't like admitting our sin. Because it means there's something wrong with us, that we have a need. We refuse to admit we are sinners, saying things like, well, that that might be right for you, but it's not right for me. That might be your truth, but I've got my truth. I don't need yours. Rather than be honest about the sin in our own lives, we'd rather point to everyone else's sin. It comes from a place of pride and self-justification, and it will kill us. Our pride will kill us because it prevents us from ever turning to Christ. We never walk down the road of redemption because we don't think we need to. Paul teaches us that if history is about God's redemptive work in Jesus, if that is what life is all about, if we want to have genuine life, we need to be honest about where we come from, about what sin might be in our past or in our present. Once again, it's about humbling ourselves, taking the time to ask God by the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal the sin in our lives, that we might confess it, 
And when we do, Scripture tells us that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This week, after our call to confession, and every week from now on, we're not just going to jump right into the general confession. We'll have the call to confession, but then we're going to spend a moment or two in silence. This is an opportunity. I want to encourage us to take that time. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us those things that we need to confess, whatever they might be, and then give them over to Christ. Be it something that happened in your mind in that very moment, something you might be thinking even right now, or something that happened years ago. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. And then give it to Jesus. Let him take it from you. And give you the freedom from sin that only he can provide. Here's the truly amazing thing. It's our last point this morning. We see in our passage that this road to redemption, the justifying and saving work of Jesus, is open to everyone. The end of our passage says this, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone, everyone who believes is freed, is justified from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Everyone is freed who believes in Jesus. The road to redemption is open to all through faith, in Christ. Here's the challenge. We just finished speaking about how in our pride we don't like to look back at our history and admit that we have sin in our life. We don't want to admit that we need a savior. There's another side to that coin. We don't want to look back at our history because we're scared to death of what we will find there. It's not that we don't think we have sin in our life. It's that we know we do. And we think that sin is so bad that it makes us unforgivable. It's actually a prideful response as well. It's assuming that we are unforgivable, unlovable, and unjustifiable. It's the pride of guilt. I remember during what I will call my wilderness years... In my early 20s, walking into a church one Sunday morning, I was living a life that in no way gave any indication that I knew Jesus as my Savior, Lord, and friend. I was living a life that was indistinguishable from any person you met anywhere. I knew the sin I had in my life, and I knew that I needed Jesus, but I walked into that church on a random Sunday morning, and it was brutal. I felt like my laundry list of sins was tattooed on my forehead for all the world to see. It's like walking into the church with a ball and chain tied to my ankle. I sat through that service. I made it through the whole thing, sat through the service, and then I got out of that building as fast as I possibly could. I believed my sin was too much. 
I was so locked in my guilt and shame, it would be another three years before I was even able to walk through the doors of a church. I knew what I had done in my life. And even though I knew in my head that Jesus would forgive me, I couldn't get to that point. There was a part of me that thought even he would reject me. And certainly the church would if they had known what I had done. What I didn't realize then, but what I know now, is that all of what I felt in that moment was nothing but a lie from the pit of hell. I was acting as if I was unlovable because I was such an awful sinner. What I didn't know was what Paul teaches us here, that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed by him. Everyone who believes is freed. Everyone. I wonder how many people sitting here today feel as I felt that Sunday morning how many years ago. How many people don't want to look in their past because they think their sin is so bad they can't be forgiven? Friends, there is forgiveness in Jesus. He wants us to go down the road of redemption with him. He came so we could be redeemed and forgiven. I know it can be hard to honestly acknowledge the sin in our lives. But when we do and we confess it to him, he is there to take it from us, to restore us, to justify us. It is true that all people sin and fall short of the glory of God. We have to admit that. We have to confess our sin. But what Paul says right after that statement in Romans is also true. All sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Redemption in Christ Jesus, justified by his grace as a gift. And because of that, there is no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. Guilt can rob us of life just as easily as our pig-headed pride can. But Christ is there to redeem us from our sin if in our humility we would just confess it to him and ask him for forgiveness. You know what's truly amazing? that after receiving the grace and loving kindness of Christ, when we look back at our past, suddenly we can see how he was there the whole time working. We begin to see our lives as he sees them. And like little signposts, he brings to mind moments where you can say, see that one? You remember that? Yeah, that was me. I was doing that. I was there then. You know, those religious rulers in Jerusalem who rejected Jesus, their sin didn't stop the work of God. He still accomplished what he purposed. He does the same in our lives. We reject him, we sin against him, and he is still there working away, drawing us back to him so that in the end, we can be with him. He can show us 
how he loves us and how he's been present in our lives. In his grace, God has been working throughout human history, laying a road to redemption through Jesus Christ. In his grace, God has been at work throughout our personal histories, drawing us to himself. Jesus stands waiting for us, welcoming all who would believe in him. Confess him as Savior. Confess your sin and let him take it from you. Let him give you the forgiveness and freedom that only he can provide. And then let him lead you by faith and walk with him throughout the rest of your life. Let us pray.